Hi, nerds. I'm Michael Moore hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I'm here with George Horta, Vice President of Information Technology for ACS Industries Incorporated. Welcome to the program, George. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I think if you've heard this uh, podcast before, you know it's time for our uh, Random Access Memories segment. Uh, this is where we um, we ask you three questions, and these questions uh, are meant for answers to be just top of your head, and it's fun. It's just a nice breaker that we do. Um, and your first question is, if all the computers in the wor- world shut down tomorrow, what job would you do instead? Creating novelty products, like selling gag gifts. <laughs> okay. What, what, can you give me an example of a gag gift you would, you would sell? Oh, uh, yeah. So I got this idea. So copyright before anybody gets any great ideas there. You're good. Uh, You've got a little bit of time before this goes to air. So you can just, you know, quickly <laughs> run to the patent office. Run out, run out to the copyright patent office. <laughs> All right. So I would create a, I think I would create a, I would start with a, a, a gag seasoning. I would call it taste like chicken. And then it would be guaranteed to make any meat you prepare taste like human flesh. <laughs> or, or double your money back. And then the 1-800 number to get the number back would be directly to a call center to the police. So yeah, Somebody that's calls, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I tried it, and you know what? doesn't taste like human. Oh, really? What's your address? Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll be out there. The check's coming right now. I, you know? I think I think you're on to something. And uh, um, if there's any law enforcement listing, I think they're going to be like, hmm. Yeah, see, I should have had that ready for it so I could have plugged that. Tastes <laughs> like chicken. That's what's the name of there, it. So there you see go. it on the there market shelves, it's me. <laughs> uh, do, uh, do you remember the first website that you ever visited? Ah, oh, yeah. I was a young teenager, and it took forever for those women to to, to populate on a screen. I don't remember oh, what it was boy. called. But it, was, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it was called, but all young boys remember the first website we all visited when we were able to type in something. So, oh man, well, man, uh, that was a lot different than mine. I think mine was the the hamster dance. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> remember that? Uh, well, my my, web my website had dance in it too. <laughs> Okay. Uh, what was uh, what was the oldest piece of technology you still use regularly? The oldest piece of technology that I still use regularly. Um, That's a tough one. I know. This is, I it like, is. It is. You know, I still use. I still listen to traditional radio music, like a regular talk show, like traditional broadcast. I think a lot of people still rely when they drive on, um, um, on, you know, streaming media from their phone or Mm -hmm. listening to Spotify or things like that. Um, I like talk radio. It keeps me awake while I'm driving. I tend to get, you know, zoned out too easily. Um, it's, if it's not something that does, that's not engaging. So, so, so this, so this type of stuff, over here, I don't know if you can see this uh, up here, but these two are old school um, radios. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing it. Uh, you know, yep, uh, yep. unfortunately, the listeners can't see, but just. No, 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 no. But I mean, if George will tell you, he can see in my background and he's like yeah, yeah. super impressed right now at these. Uh, <laughs> they're amazing. They're, they're museum quality. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the, I would say that's the most oldest traditional. I mean, you think about it, radios have been around for, for years. Oh, yeah. Receivers and. Um, 
you know, and I, and I by no means am an audiophile, um, but uh, I think in terms of technology, what it still brings, I think the, uh, the format for um, talk radio or talk or podcasting is still very, 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 um, you know, fit for purpose. No, oh, I, you know, it's a good, good point. I mean, I don't, honestly, I don't think that a uh, podcast would be a thing uh, unless uh, talk radio was a long time ago. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and it's still here. I mean, that's the amazing part of you still, you can still hear it and it's still a big portion of this. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, I, I that was a really, really good answer. Um, George, uh, Process first, people second. Finally, after the first two are aligned, it's all about technology. That was on your headline in LinkedIn. Yes, right? sir. Yes, sir. Um, uh, explain that. Well, I, mean, I think um, a lot of companies um, historically would rely on, you know, especially in IT, look for IT as a as an engine for major change, without realizing that IT is just about automi- uh, automating and optimizing. And so if you have a really shitty process and you have really bad workflows or you can't quantify the work your people do and how they do it and how they operate, IT is just going to get you there quicker. You know, so if you're if you if you're not doing things great to begin with, IT is going to automate bad process. So you really need to understand how you're working, how you're operating, what your workflows are. And, and they need to be owned by somebody. And it starts with that right there, right? Somebody who's going to take ownership because even the best ideas, even the best process, you know, even the best processes, even the best tools, if somebody doesn't have ownership of it, right? Um, and bring it to your front door, everything else is just going to die in a vine. And I'm sure a lot of IT folks out there that listen will, will realize, you know, what have seen in their experience where they show up to a company, maybe they've inherited in a network or an environment, and there might have been really great tools, you know, that were partially implemented or or they got all this great technology with all these, you know, neat features. But um, and they're just they're they're just not being used. You know, it's a case of the Lamborghini sitting in the driveway to go get the mail. Right. They're not getting the most value out of it. Nobody understands how to get use out of it. Um, they they strategically designed a great service and just did a poor job in transition and leveraging it. And. Well, you know, uh, let me let me interject for a minute because you made a great point, and I want to hammer that home, right? And your point was, you know, you got these these great uh, applications and products and and things, and they might just be spectacular. Right. Um, and we see this all the time uh, with shadow IT, where people go out and they buy these amazing products or subscribe to these amazing SaaS applications that are out there, and uh, because they don't consult IT because they don't go and and uh, um, accurately, you know, work with them, they can end up getting right the, the, the wrong subscription, you know, uh, not get the feature set they want, don't know right. how to implement it, uh, don't right. know how to base the processes, right, that get created uh, into that new application. And uh, ultimately, um, they could just tank the, the new solution uh, and uh, they end up spending money for something that that they don't use. So that was a great point you made. I, I wanted to just highlight that. Yeah, that and, I, and I think the people part of it is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, as technologists and cybersecurity specialists, a lot of what we do, you know, isn't really about the technology, right? It's about enabling automation and and and, and process. And so, you know, the, the businesses don't care about like RAM or 
containerization or servers, right? I mean, I would, I would argue they don't even care about cybersecurity, right? They're worried about, mm-hmm. does my email work? Will I get fined for something? Um, how, how much is it going to cost me? And, and can you automate stupid out of my company, right? That's really what they're, they're looking for. Um, you know, and so it, it's, it's a, in that sense, like IT is really more about the psychology of people and how we operate and how we work and how can we make it better, you know? And so uh, that, that's why it's people process than technology. It's just the tech should come last. You, you, this, you, I think you just gave me one of the best quotes I've ever heard. Can you automate stupidity out of my company? That is a fantastic line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I'm a big proponent of IT. So I've always been a big you know, proponent of IT as a service, right? Um, I don't care about whether or not Netflix hosts their product in AWS. I don't care about the user mm-hmm. interface, the user experience, to be honest. And quite frankly, it's inconvenient. But yeah, if they want me to, you know, not share my password anymore, I'm more I'm more than happy to kick the freeloaders off my my, my <laughs> you know my account. <laughs> Give me more episodes of, of Sanctuary and you know, shame on you for presenting that resident evil trash you put on there, you know, last <laughs> year, right? So I only care about the service and the businesses only care about can you do this securely? Am I going to be fine? Can you can you help me optimize? Yeah, uh, no, I think that's a great point. Um, so, you're, 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 like I had mentioned, you're currently with uh, ACS Industries Incorporated. Right. Uh, do you want right. to give us a quick rundown on what ACS Industries does and what your role? Yeah, so uh, ACS Design and Manufacturers, like they call it unique, critical to function components in in the products of in the, in the products for companies that build bigger, bigger things, right? So we're, we're what's inside, right? We're not necessarily going to be the, the center stage limelight product that you would see. So, you know, they largely right now build filters for traditional fossil fuel um, engines and components. And they also build um, metal mesh products for um, filters for airbags, right? So you don't get a flame, a face full of flame. You only get a face, face full of bag. Explain um, the metal mesh. Um, expanded metal. So literally, like if you were to look at a Brillo pad, that's metal mesh, right? If you took a look at, you know, a filter, like an oil filter or a certain filter in, a, in an engine, that would be metal mesh. Um, and so they're, they're actually masters of the, not just creating a product, but optimizing the, the operations. Like how do we get from point A to point B to point D and mass produce this product so that we can make it as cost effective as possible for you to put as many of our products aside as many of your products as possible. But that's um, amazing too, because when you think about it, um, you know, making a product is, uh, is fairly straightforward. Uh, it does have challenges, but it's fairly straightforward. But when you're making parts inside, uh, we're making a part that can go inside multiple different products, right? right, right. Uh, that seems to be a little more challenging. Uh, d- because you have to f- make it in, in different ways to be able to fit all these different products and keep up with their um, uh, changes to to the pro- to their products, right? I mean, is that yeah, exactly, accurate? exactly. And so they just started getting into, for example, um, we're building now this mesh product that filters water from hydrogen, hydrogen from water, wow. for um, a customer um, that's that's getting. So we're in hydrogen power now, the green power industry, right? 
And so it's one thing to produce like a single product, right? Like a single cyber truck. It's quite another to figure out how to mass produce that cyber truck frame, you know, in mass so you can get all your shipment models out, right? Like that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a completely different animal. So it may be very cost efficient or maybe very easy for you to produce one of something, but like now produce a million of it for the same cost to do that one, right? That's really... So, so it's not so much just the product they produce that's innovative and, um, you know, smart um, and well-designed. It's the process to build a lot of it all at once. And so um, in this particular case, what I do for ACS is, you know, with their medium-sized company, I think by typical standards of gross revenue, but, you know, they have a global footprint. We have factories in Mexico, Romania, China. Um, we're opening up a new factory in India. And so, you know, they traditionally have, you know, your normal enterprise operations, those keeping the lights on types, things like Word, Office, you know, those tools, key ERP, MRP functions, you know, those tools that help them actually do the business, right? And then um, this new net, you know, this, this manufacturing network, you know, and a desire to go to manufacturing 4.0, so SCADA and PLCs and, and trying to get, you know, that old technology stack into, you know, the 21st century by making it more interactive and, and get real-time information from there. Um, and so what I've been helping them do is modernize their technology, do it securely, and also manage their costs because they've never necessarily had somebody come in and go, well, as a company, you should be operating within this bell curve of spend based on your gross revenue and number of people. And oh, by the way, you seem to want to really do this on a shoestring budget, which is most companies do, right? It's not a, it's not a indictment against any company. I've never been with a company that goes, yeah, you know, open up, here's your, you know, we, we can spend anything you want. Right. Um, and so manage and lead and cultivate a team to operate internationally. Right. So I have people that report to me in, in India, Romania, Germany, China, uh, you know, we work collaboratively across the board. So getting all those people to operate in a way and produce support that's going to satisfy the business and, you know, coach people in other regions where the culture around professionalizing IT and cyber and, you know, having somebody coach you on how to manage your career is not something that would be inherent maybe in those regions or necessarily, you know, historically within a company. Uh, you know, and, and listening to you, what I know is that from a, um, you know, uh, I've had the, the pleasure of doing global IT as well. Mm -hmm. And the challenges and stuff that come around with it. Um, extremely amazing because you get to work with all different sorts uh, and all different, uh, uh, you get to see a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's an amazing, uh, but it's also incredibly uh, taxing and challenging because your day never ends. Um, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when, the, when you're trying to go to bed, somebody's waking up and, and it's like, uh, it's, you know, the sun never sets on it, uh, you know, so, um, and in fact, to hammer home this point, uh, where are you right now? So I'm working from um, the autonomous region of Valencia, Spain, um, a little city called Xativa, um, beautiful, old, historic, um, very ancient village. Um, but I have fiber coming to my uh, location. So talk about a flat world. Um, got a view of a castle from my little Tarada. Um, it was our um, HGTV international you know, a uh, dream to buy something um, and, and have something um, in a different country. So, um, 
But, you know, what you said is 100% on a, on a dot. You know, people hear that and they think, you know, they get the wrong impression. They think you're, you're you know, they, they think you're living a certain lifestyle. And it's like, no, you know, it's, it's A, everybody spends their money in different things. You know, some people have an old SS sitting in a garage. Some people collect ancient radios. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and on top of that, you know, you work a lot hard. You work more in this capacity. You know, when I'm back in the States, my other home office is, um, I live, I live on Cape Cod in Massachusetts and I'm normally just focused on my, my ivory tower. You know, are we operate our headquarters is in Lincoln, Rhode Island and I support our, our North American offices, uh, you know, in Mexico, really. So Mexico. And quite frankly, uh, you know, I have the luxury of not necessarily worrying as much about Asia and Europe, um, you know, and we do, we still care very much about that. I have some good people in place now that I, I can rely on and sort of run operations there. But when I'm here working in in this time zone, the GST time zone, well, I'm up during normal working hours for Romania and convenient convenient hours for India and, yeah. and China even. I actually can host a meeting during their working hours. But North America and Mexico aren't rolling in online till noon to 1 p.m. my time. Yeah, and yeah. so where where I might go? Well, I've been supporting these hours and focused on these hours these days for the site, and trying to get off and get dinner at eight thirty nine o'clock at night. Thank goodness the Spanish people are you know they they live their lives much later in the day because it's so ungodly hot sometimes. <laughs> um, you meet know, my CEO might be go on green on Teams. You know, <laughs> there's no way I can jump up, so it's a longer day. So it's these days are are grueling when I'm working um, from this time zone. I I bet I bet just because you're so accessible and I mean in your uh, I mean you're probably uh, I think what's uh, six hours from Eastern time uh, yeah six right hours now? during yeah during daylight daylight, daylight saving yeah so it switches depending on what time of the year I'm there yeah and yeah, um, yeah more for Mexico now because Mexico got rid of daylight savings time so whereas it used to be a one hour difference between Eastern standards now two now two yeah so. So they're oh, so they're operating almost in mountain. It will be the states in mountain time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Well. Um, well. Yeah. That's that is a that is a rough <laughs> a rough go. Uh, but you know, it is not without its challenging uh, challenges. And uh, you know, you had mentioned, you know, essentially this is a, a, a manufacturing. Yes. Uh, uh, right. And so um, uh, I also have some experience in doing it with manufacturing right? and, um, I have learned from that, that that is, uh, comes with a whole set of challenges, uh, in dealing with proprietary equipment that may be using, uh, um, uh, systems that are way far beyond, uh, end of life and uh, running exactly. operations that are no yeah. longer supported and switching yeah. them out would cost, uh, you know, an amazing amount of money. Uh, are these some of the challenges that you see in that? Um, yeah, 100%. I would say a lot of the PLCs, for example, are 23 years old and they were never designed to um, be internetworked and do everything they want. You know, we talk about manufacturing 4.0 and they mean to be able to the push pull of data and the ability to remotely do things in a way that's never, you know, that's never been, in, you know, invested in right before. Right. So you have this desire to get the most out of it and bring your network and your manufacturing environment into the 21st century. 
But, you know, companies that have been doing that on enterprise traditional networks for years can't do that right. You know, they're, they're still working to get that done right. And so now you're looking to do this in an environment, in a culture where you've never vested money in, right? So I don't have a, necessarily a budget for a PLC guy, right? I'm having to hire that now because I'm trying to explain to the business how ripe the, the, you know, the environment is for us to actually, you know, to risk introducing, you know, connecting these systems into the environment, to the network, right? A hundred percent. You know, it is that you're actually, you're on the nose on that. It's almost the yeah. point you're like, hey, listen, don't network these things up. Leave them be because that is a, uh, you know, that is just a uh, um, target at that point. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a that's a point of entry where you can get in there. Um, speaking of cybersecurity, right? Um, so let's apply cybersecurity to a global scale, right? Because right. Uh, um, you, you mentioned that you don't have to deal much with uh, a lot of the European pieces, but, you know, GDPR is uh, prevalent over in that region. Uh, but even from... Uh, uh, even from other other different regions, uh, there are uh, data and privacy uh, yep. and security, uh, you know, changes and frameworks that that just change from region to region, right? How, right. Well, how do you keep up with that? Well, I think the challenge with a lot of companies that are that are global is, um, you know, even the best companies in the U.S. have have failed to ever do like a, an SRTM, right? The security requirements traceability matrix. Like, what do we actually have to do? How does it map together? So, um, I do I do get involved with our European and our Asia um, practices in terms of everything cybersecurity. Uh, what I meant to suggest was that I have people I put in place that I trust so that oh, they gotcha. have somebody gotcha. who's real time. Yeah, because what happens, we've never had that person there that with the authority and ability to make decisions mm-hmm. during our off hours, right? They used to have to always wait for the U.S. to wake up and go, yeah, you know what? I understand what you're trying to do. Go ahead and make this change or make this executive decision. So, um, But that's a result of us having control and, and visibility and understanding of exactly what those needs are and growing the ability to support them in a way that that makes sense without maybe necessarily handing the keys to the kingdom to maybe our new guy in China, right? Or our new factory in India where they don't, they're not familiar with our workflows and processes, right? Um, and identifying those right skill sets and those right characters that are going to be able to, to play the role we need them to play and operate the way we expect them to and what we lay out there. So I'm, um, and I think from our, our perspective of cybersecurity and more specifically compliance, so we're, a lot of our products are automotive. We have to meet Tizax. Tizax is an automotive-specific cybersecurity framework um, where you get certified, but it's ISO 27001 derived. And so I, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges is explaining that process to the business and how it operates because you're, you know, you're, you've been in the same position where you're doing a lot with a little, right? And so you're having a nine times out of 10, you have a great, well laid out plan, but you're having to be a lot more tactical more often than you realize versus strategic, right? Like, well, I got to do these six things now because yes, we want to be Tizax and ISO 27001, but we got to go pursue now our ransomware insurance and they, they really want you to get these four things done first. So let's prioritize them because it's not wasted effort. We got to do it anyway. We'll just do it to a manner that achieves this standard so that when we get to it and that, you know, for that framework or that goal, it it's, we could, yeah, we did it already. Let's move on to the next thing. Right. Um, I love that. And that's, that's a great approach because that's, that allows you 
to to do the homework up front and understand you know what your you know what pla- what different uh, um, security uh, uh, you know uh, frameworks you need to follow right, right and right. then uh, see which ones line up. <laughs> compare them all and then go, okay, let's take the ones that are giving me the biggest bang for the buck. And uh, then you'll be able to knock out quicker, get, get them in there. Let's prioritize them and let's put together this mitigation plan so that we can kind of keep running through it. But y- you understand that you have limited resources and you can't do it all, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's, Hey, I, I understand what we got to do. And it's just a, uh, it's just running through it. And, and that fits along with something I always kind of mention to people, which is security is not really a destination. It's a journey. Uh, yeah. It's a continued journey. So you're, when people think, well, oh, I, I want to be secure. I'm like, okay, well, you just want to be more secure than you were yesterday and just keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's a life cycle activity that people don't realize you own yeah. it. Right. So it's, you're perpetually measure, measuring and quantifying what you're doing. You're, a lot of time you spend a lot of time having, especially at our level, you know, your director VP, you're having to educate these leaders and explain to them exactly what it is they're doing. You have to explain to, well, listen, NIST, you know, is a, this control stack from NIST is basically like your refrigerator in a restaurant. You know, it's giving you all the the core components you need to, 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 to give a recipe or a menu item to a customer. And that menu item might be TISAC certification. All right, well, let's grab what we need for, let's grab everything we need out of the Love refrigerator it. and give it to there, you know? And, and, and by the way, ITIL is the method by which we serve the food and, and prepare the food and identify quality and manage it over the life cycle of it being in our fridge, right? Um, and so trying to make it understandable in a way so they, they see why things take so long. Yes, it, it makes sense, right? Um, configuration management, you know, operating systems on your computers, they all should be the same. They should be updated and patched. That's sort of kind of 101 asset management, right? Well, if you spent years neglecting refreshing these computers and they're so old, I can't update them to the newest operating system. That's a project. Now your cost has gone up. The time to, de- to deliver this solution for you is, has now expanded. And it's tough to make the business understand sometimes that's your, your earlier five, seven, eight years of looking to be more economical and lean with the way you did things, um, you know, it's come back to roost. You, you're going to have to pay later or today, but you're going to have to pay something. You know, that's, gosh, I love that response because that is such a, um, I deal with this on a, on a daily basis because I talk to multiple companies um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you, you, you see companies that don't invest in their infrastructure. Hey, it's still working. Why would I touch it? Um, you know, I paid for it. I'm going to get all the use out of it I can. And they use that thought process. And and uh, what they what they tend to miss is um, okay, but all the means now all this stuff is going to come all at you at once, right? You're not you're not being proactive. You're not creating a life cycle for this uh, equipment and refreshing it over a period of time. Um, which, by the way, would lead into what I was going to ask you about, which is budgeting, right? Uh, if you create a if you create a um, a life cycle for your equipment, uh, then you can effectively budget it and amortize it over a certain period of time, um, and that will stat that'll make your budget uh, you know uh, um, st- you know roughly static in that Correct. in that regard. Over they kind of uh, equalizes it. So, um, but that's just one thing we can do from a budgeting standpoint. Um, I'm a big proponent. And I'm glad you earlier mentioned this about budgeting because I'm a big proponent of working uh, with finance teams and uh, helping to reduce cost in IT yep. uh, so that we can turn around and reinvest it 
and uh, and do some amazing things, uh, strategic things. Um, what are some of the um, items and stuff that you've worked on from a budgeting standpoint that you feel that um, maybe overlooked in the uh, uh, in this arena and uh, and that you could help our listeners out with? Yeah, I mean, I think the the first challenge always is in order for IT to be able to demonstrate value, the company needs to be able to quantify the value of the business their workers are, are, are delivering to begin with, right? And, um, you know, and I, I think this, this sort of translates to a bunch of other topics like work remote, right? It's sort of been, I've been very interested in the, the psychology of work remote, how that happens. Because for me, yes, my headquarters is in the U.S., but most of my customer base is in, in every other country except the U.S. So I'm always perpetually to everybody else 100% remote anyway, right? Yep. So, um, and I think a lot of companies, when they're establishing a budget and what they're spend, you know, they don't really know how to go about determining like what should we spend, you know, and, and where should we spend it because they don't understand, you know, what the value is of automating a certain workflow or, or giving somebody more, you know, more availability or, or enabling them to do their job better, faster. Well, what does that mean? Do you save money? Can you quantify that in a way that makes sense, right? A lot of us that come in, and, you know, inherit somebody else's, you know, network or infrastructure, you know, nine times out of 10, you're really joining a company building from the scratch up, right? You're nine times coming in and taking over what somebody else did, right? Um, when you're doing that budget and looking at the spend, you sort of have to go in and look at, see, at, you know, what systems and applications have been orphaned, what weren't fit for purpose, what didn't scale, right? What made sense at a company at 100 that doesn't make sense out of, out of a thousand. So, um, and what is your core objective, right? Keeping in mind that most companies, their core competency isn't IT. I work for a marine robotics company, right? High tech, they, they are not an IT company. That's a, that's a different skill set, a different engineering source, right? Um, and so I would say go into it with understanding and starting with understanding your industry. Like what industry are you in? And there are already metrics out there. A lot of smart companies will help you figure out what your peers are doing in terms of spend. Like I know comfortably I'm within like, I'm at the bottom tail end of that bell curve for other manufacturer companies that are global with my number of users and my number of computers and my number of IDFs. I know what my spend is based, uh, you know, you know, as a metric for, you know, gross revenue, you know, the percentage of my gross revenue. Um, and understand that it's just a beginning, a starting point for having that conversation to begin with. Like I can go and say, well, listen, we're on the bottom tail end. So does that mean that we need to just automatically spend more to bring us to the median? No, but like if you have these several objectives that you want to hit, we're not doing it. You shouldn't maybe feel so bad about spending to, to grow the business or to add functionality you may never had before and realize that it's always a trade-off, right? Um, and understanding what you're going to get for that spend, you know, on as technologists, we've historically done a really bad job with collaborating with the business and saying, you know, what this is what you're going to get for it and, and simplifying it for them, right? They don't care about RAM. They don't care about CP. They don't care about none of that. Look at this I shiny new AB, server yeah. I got. They don't care. No, okay. don't and now and now things are intangible even even more it's not like yeah. you can hey we're gonna pay a bunch of money it's not you're not gonna see this shiny server uh, or, or sand in the no, no, computer room you're gonna no. see nothing no nothing. no but no. we need this money right yeah and, and for me i would rather manage slas and i would rather people and technology be quite frank i'd rather say hey we're hosting our erp in the cloud you handle everything you know, you will help us mitigate our liability or risk because you now own that. We will consume it as a service. 
And then all I need to do is make sure that you you hit the SLAs that we established and that, you know, that we can get audited and we can pass that audit, right? Uh, I, but, uh, <laughs> the shared security model uh, and, uh, and audits, it, you know, they just work so well together. <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah. Hey, hey, let me point you over to these folks that are that are working on this. And look, they they have everything already set for you. Um, yeah. And then we handle this piece. And here's how we uh, make sure that uh, our, our, you know, our, our data going in is secure and and, yeah. and how we're controlling access to that data and yeah. all these items. Yeah, that uh, no, I, I agree with you. That's a for anybody that uh, gets audited frequently uh, um, or works in a. Uh, works with companies that um, that get audited frequently and then get the audit back to them as a third party. Yeah. This is it, the shared security model is such a um, a, a time saver and such a uh, um, I don't know. It makes me sleep better at night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, but I would even go so far in terms of the budgeting aspect of it. I would say, as technologists, right? If you really want to grow your career, um, you know, it's. I would say the IT part is always the easiest part, right? But speaking the language of business and people, right? I, historically, IT people haven't been people people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, very true. but being able to ha- have that discussion and really understand and, and explain it simply, this is how we figure out what our budget is. And it's not just, you know, what are we spending, but are we spending what we have on the right things, right? What buckets should we be putting our spend in? And understanding that there's going to be a trade-off like you know you it doesn't make sense to spend a hundred million on security to protect 50 million dollars worth of asset right so you know what's that right spend mix look like and i think you know in terms of longevity in, in your chosen career field that's where we we still lack as an industry you know there's not enough people that can speak the language of the business and it's so important because yeah. Uh, um, I think you met like going back to what you said about the um, process and people and then technology, you know, it's how technology is mm-hmm. last in that mix. You know, and last. I, and I tell people all the time, I said, you know, tell me what you want to do. Uh, let's talk about, you know, the process and how, and who we're going to put on it. And then we can layer the technology on top of that. Uh, and, and so it's, it, it aligns really well with what you said. And that's why I kicked off with that, um, with that line. Cause I thought it was, it was dead on um, you, the technology, you know, and I, and I look at this too, we're information technology, right? Um, if technology didn't exist, we'd be helping people organize information and, right. and moving it around. I mean, that's essentially what we do. Um, right. If, you know, if the information didn't exist where, why, you know, the technology would be useless. Uh, yeah. you know, we live in an information society right now and uh, and uh, understanding how to get that information from A to B uh, and securely uh, as cheap, cheap as possible yeah, you know, yeah. uh, is, is a big deal. So, no, I, it's interesting. And, and I guess I go back to this global piece, because um, if you're used to just doing I.T. within. Uh, uh, within one country, you get very familiar with that. Um, right. Even it's even starting to get tricky in the United States because uh, even all the different states have their own uh, um, cybersecurity and privacy difference. Right. I mean, te- uh, right. Texas just passed the new Privacy Act. Um, obviously, California has been way ahead of the game with that with their Privacy Act that kind of rivals GDPR in some cases. Um, and uh, and so you you get to see all these disparate. 
um, uh, you know, changes and stuff happen. And so that's the real trick of the uh, trick of the trade there with um, with what we what we do. Right. Is figuring right. out the best pathway to make sure that a company stays compliant, uh, they stay secure uh, and they get all this done uh, well within what you said, which was a fantastic uh, way to put it um, within their budget. For right. IT, the budget that right. makes sense for their business, um, right. yeah, and you're right. You, you're not going to spend, you know, uh, an exorbitant amount in uh, um, in uh, uh, cyber security, cybersecurity yeah. if if your uh, company isn't making that type of money, right? right. And right. then you should probably rethink your model and your your clientele at that point yeah. too, you know. So and, and you know, and I think the SRTM is you know always uh, or underlooked or overlooked, right? Um, your security requirements traceability matrix. You know, um, if you're going in and you and that's the challenge you have where you're geographically dispersed, um, then just collect collect all your you know your you know your known standards. I got a you know standard for a cyber that's associated with um, how we handle finance data in India. I have, you know, another set of standards that are established at the business that we want to adopt because we know it checks the box. So that's ISO 27001. Nine out of 10, all those controls that you need to achieve are mapped to each other because they, as an industry, it's matured. We know, right? Yep. So, you know, nine out of 10, you normally what you go is assuming it doesn't add too much cost. You go, well, listen, they all tell me I need to manage and introduce MFA, but but, you know, NIST is the most, you know, paranoid. So let's do NIST because then we'll subsequently track the box off for every other, you know, for other requirement. And so, you know, it's a good approach to have it. You just need to know what's in front of you and, and be able to understand, you know, your objectives are usually shared across your different frameworks. You just need to know what they are. Well, and, and interesting, too. And the other thing I usually see is um, a, a misinterpretation of security uh, because clients don't have uh, their data classified and don't know where their data is, right? Uh, so, yeah. You know, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let you speak to it because I, I can tell by your expression, you, you had something to say on top of that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think data loss prevention is huge for a lot of companies, right? But they don't know what it is they want to protect. You know, we, we spent a lot of time in a more a recent project that I, I delivered um, introducing the concept of DLP. And, and, you know, and it was here are all the tools where we're going to be able to electronically watermark. And we had several challenges as a global company that I think other companies don't have. You know, but one that's shared is that a lot of companies don't know what they want to protect, you know, and, and they don't realize, you know, even more you know, confusing and, and more of a challenge is that our customers may have a requirement for you to protect certain data types. Well, they are not clearly identifying it. And I came historically from a DOD federal government environment where they are, they mastered this. Like bureaucracy is what they do. And so <laughs> you would get a- turns out to be too. Yeah, you would get a classification guideline. They will tell you, yep. oh, and when in doubt, you don't know the answer, assume this and label it this way. And so it really, there was no question. But in the private sector, they're not there yet. Automotive, even more so, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and then that's you know that's just the customer data where you, they're looking to really clear you know clarify what it is. What about proprietary data? That's a that's a hard thing for a company to determine what is proprietary, and then um, then want to secure it because a lot of the workflows they've developed over you know organically over years has relied on workflows that that are contrary to cybersecurity best practices. I want to be able to email a copy of this drawing to any one of these other engineers throughout the company. And it's like, yeah, you know what? No, you know, um, that's not going to happen if you want to be, you, you know, they're, they're usually contradictory 
goals and objectives, right? You, you know, with cybersecurity, usually comes a lot of breaking stuff and breaking workflows. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it's an even bigger challenge when you're trying to meet cybersecurity on a schedule because you normally, when you start applying those controls and pulling those levers to secure things, you want to go at it with a scalpel so you don't break the business, right? And but you know, but at the same time, you want to go at it with a hatchet because they're trying to clear under the gun. You got to get it done quickly. It's like, all right, fine, I'll turn on every everything we know we want to stop happening. But watch, you're gonna realize that there are people in your your plants that need to videotape what they're doing. And now we're gonna stop them from sending videotapes across the network. Or by the way, you have OneDrive, SharePoint, draw managed, but guess what? Now I, I turned off Google Drive and Dropbox because that's not supported by the business. And how many of your workflows now have been relying on that for 10 years, right? Or, you know, BYOD is big, right? How many, how many companies have all these things they want to protect, but their employees are synchronizing, you know, all that email data, which everybody, you know, email is basically a file server. We all know it, right? It's no longer Mm -hmm. just email. It's a file server. And they're storing all these emails and copies of the attachments in their personal iCloud account. You know what I mean? Baseball fan 62 at, you know, whatever, iCloud.com now has a full <laughs> copy of everything that you've been developing over the last 10 years yeah. of the company, right? Yeah. And you have no control over it. And no control over it, right? And, so I think and- defining it's a big challenge. But I think also a global company, that IT cyber, we've been under attack in America, in North America for decades. We've been We've been playing this game of cybersecurity. I can tell you the cybersecurity culture is not as well developed. And and that's not to suggest you don't have highly skilled people in other countries. I'm just not going to get them at a tier one level work at a manufacturing company. They're not coming to work for my company, right? Mm -hmm. So India, China, I have to now coach that and really train those people how to think that way strategically and have that cybersecurity mindset because that's not something that, that, you know, you're you're going to see as, I mean, it's not ubiquitous here in the States, let alone in, you know, maybe Romania and let alone in a very, where we would operate a a plant, which is in a very rural area in Romania, where you also have sheep farmers and dogs sleeping in the middle of the road. You know, you're not going to be able to have that same level of, of, you know, experience, you know, so that's a big challenge with cybersecurity as well. Well, no doubt. And that's a, that's a, that's a great, uh, um, perception, a great uh, perspective from uh, uh, from that, because uh, anybody that hasn't done any global IT, uh, um, they probably wouldn't understand that. They probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, have, uh, wouldn't have taken a thought to that piece. Yeah. So yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a really, really good uh, piece. Um, I, I wanted to take, um, uh, take a moment here and, uh, and go to our last segment, which is the uh, IT crystal ball. Um, and, uh, you had mentioned earlier, uh, you, you talked about it a few times that you're really, uh, um, kind of into it. Um, when you talked about, uh, your IT, um, kind of escaping me here, (laughs) but, uh, you were talking about, uh, IT and, uh, the, diving into the, oh yeah, the people, the processes and, uh, and the, uh, technology. And so in those, in those, those three pieces in that order, right. I find it interesting, right? Because, uh, um, we have such a, right now, just a, a changing dynamic 
of uh, with so many different new emerging technologies happening uh, over the past several years. Um, lots of shakeups happening, uh, a lot of cybersecurity changes, um, privacy uh, changes happening, all of these things all happening all at once. Um, and we go back to, you, you mentioned process, people, technology. Uh, and I wonder, and I want you to apply this in to uh, um, to the IT crystal ball for the future. Uh, is that a uh, long lasting? Is that a? I feel like we can we can hang our hats on that methodology, or do you see that a methodology a methodology evolving in the future? Yeah, I man. I, no, I think um, no, I think it will always be people, process, and technology. You're not gonna. No company operates the same. And so there may be a series of tools that are shared across multiple businesses. You know, everybody has Microsoft Office, X percentage of network switching equipment in the back end is going to be Cisco, right? But how you make it all work together and then, you know, also optimize for your particular workflows. You know, let's go back to cybersecurity. We've been talking a lot about that, right? Yeah, there's a there. I can go to any school or any you know cert mill and go. Hey, give me a bunch of you know security plus people or, or people with CISSPs, right? Um, and you know, go to people that have worked you know even implementing governance and, and compliance frameworks, right? That's one thing, right? But most companies, the biggest risks aren't associated with things that they're not necessarily checking off on a box for a compliance objective, even though they might be a very good practice. It's understanding the workflows within your business to really go, oh, but wait a minute, you know, in this particular building in this country, everybody likes to write their password underneath their keyboard. That's a unique risk to me, right? Or understanding of the workflow, oh, I need to spend this much more on switches because in our environment, we rely on video a lot more. So there's a lot more east-west traffic. So we need to be able to have more bandwidth. Right, that's a functionality that only comes from somebody who, who's been with the company with any amount of time will understand, and that's traditionally not been the strength in IT uh, in general. Right, we a lot of IT people, you know, they go from company to company pretty quickly because they know that you can often get a better payday somewhere else, and so they're not necessarily there with the company long enough to understand, or you know, the workflows are, are always the unique risk. You need somebody who can come in real quick, and and then. Um, understand that and um, having that people part of it, right? At the end of the day, when you're trying to make significant change, especially in a leadership role, consensus building is key, right? Because at the end of the day, no matter what technology you want to implement, I guarantee that AI solution that's going to help you automate a bunch of people out of a job, it's going to cost money, you know, <laughs> right? It's so true. Even, if, even to get that, you need somebody there that's going to be able to help you justify that and build a bunch of get a bunch of people on the same page and, you know, put a, put a cap on it and what it means to be introduced Man, and what it manage the plugins, manage the integrations, right. uh, uh, oversee the entire thing, make it sure it's secure. I just, you right. Know, yeah. Right. And, and so, yeah, I think that's always going to be the case. I don't think you're ever going to come at it with, and, and I challenge you to find one company through technology at a, at a problem and, and, and fixed it. And that was it right No, It it's, if you, if you don't take it from that order, you might muddle through and get it done at some point. You know, I find sometimes implementing an IT solution will give you an, you know, an idea into framework and how to set something up and go, oh, wait a minute. They used an ITIL framework for the way they built together their change release program. All right, all right, that, that, that's a good idea. We should do that too. I didn't think we could apply it in this format, right? But if you don't have the right people to, to implement 
and sell the idea and build a culture, right? And I, I'm, I'm, it's one of my signature taglines, right? Uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Then it's going to fail. It's just not going to work, right? That's I think that's Dr. Deming that said that um, with regards to culture. Um, and then if you don't have process to understand what you're doing and what you're automating, well, then, you know, don't, I don't care who you have working on it. They're not going to be able to do anything because they don't understand what the tools they're looking to implement are supposed to drive and change. It'll be the never ending project with scope creep. And we've all worked on those, right? Where you get project, you don't really know what you're doing. There's no clear beginning or end to what you're trying to do. And it's, there's, Oh yeah, let's do this. It's like, you know, if you even have somebody that's going to be the final authority to go, Oh yeah, we won. We, you know, <laughs> we, we did this, right. We checked the box off, right. Not that there's never going to be a need to go back and, 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 you know, go back and tweak and do a lessons learned. Right. Um, and then even when you do implement, you get to the point where you're implementing technology, right? If you don't have good people to help you manage it and manage it at the life cycle and going with the approach that it's a product, it's a product with an expiration date. What's fit for purpose today for the company may not be fit tomorrow, right? Then, then you know, it's going to fail at some point. It just may not be today, right? So I think it's all, I don't, I would be hard pressed to look in a, into a future where that's not always going to be the case. Oh, I, that's a, I mean, that's a, a great response to, uh, um, you know, to that uh, um, future uh, uh, IT, uh, you know, the future IT, uh, because here what you see is essentially the basic principles are the same. The right. technology changes, some, uh, you know, some environmental factors change, but sticking with the basic principles uh, still work. And, and, and that holds true. Uh, uh, as well to a lot of the work that Deming did, by the way, in quality management. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I agree with you in that, in that mix. I mean, it, it's, it's still going, it's evolved, but it's still going pretty, yeah. pretty strong. So, yeah. well, nerds, um, it's Michael Moore, and I've been hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Um, George Horta, Vice President of Information Technologies for ACS Industries Incorporated. Thank you, George, for uh, stopping by the program. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for being a great host. I appreciate it, too. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Take it easy.